Welcome, and thank you for joining me for another episode. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. Some time ago, I was talking with Alice Skaya, whom we featured on an earlier episode called Sacred Landscapes, about the earth, healing, and sacred places. He asked me if I knew of Sakaya Blackburn and the work that he does, to which I replied I didn't. He then suggested that I might want to feature Sakaya on a future episode of Nature Revisited. Sakaya Blackburn doesn't need a long introduction. He is a shamanic sound healer, musician, and gifted teacher who is trained in classical healing and shamanic traditions. He conducts tours worldwide to sacred sites and places. And recently, Alice Skaya and I sat down with Sakaya to talk about his life sacred places, and the living earth. I feel that one of the best ways to get people to listen to something new is to make it personal. So I would like to start with what brought you to these ancient sacred wisdoms, as you call it, the living earth. Yes, but I, I really want to back up a moment to what you began with, which is that you want to do this to bring people to understand nature more or something like that. Let's just start there for just a moment because that's, that's critical to the whole overview. And it's, under, it's not to look at nature differently so much as to understand we are part of nature. And most of us have a disconnect there at some level of consciousness. And it's been taught and bred into us for generations and generations, ages and ages. We have been led away from anything to do with integration with nature, whereas every culture on the planet has viewed themselves as an integral part of nature. It's very important to understand that, that we are part of nature. We are birthed from nature. There's no separation or segregation of us and nature. So part of the story is learning our own nature. When we learn our own nature, we understand the nature of the universe. We understand everything. When we truly observe and meet our own nature, that's inherent to the whole story. And that's inherent to every wisdom school fundamentally. Every wisdom school is about understanding who you truly are, what you really are. And the story evolves from there. But that's the meeting point. That's where we begin. And if I'm living in an indigenous culture, my birthing is into that place of being part of nature. These are my uncles and aunts, these trees and stones out here. They're part of my living family. That I'm birthed into that level of consciousness. It's not something segregate from me or anything I have to learn or understand or try to meet in any different way. In Western society, we have been birthed away from that way of knowing, understanding, 
evolving, honoring, recognizing, being a part of all that is. So that's, a, that's really where we begin this story. But I was an all-American boy, star football player, Eagle Scout, God and Country. I and three of my brothers got, were the first four brothers to ever get Eagle and God and Country at the same time. I went to the U.S. Naval Academy, okay? You can't get much more all-American than I was, really. And I was standing in my dormitory room early one morning, and we were required to read the newspaper and do all of this stuff. And I was just there doing the things I had to do in my morning tasks. And someone started talking to me. And I turned around to see who was there, and nobody was in the room. Okay, so I, an all-American boy, was forced to witness that there's some other reality occurring, whatever that is, whatever that means. Some voice spoke to me and fundamentally shared with me that this was, the way I like to say it is, this isn't what we had in mind for you. But I had some spiritual being speaking from some other realm. It was not an internal voice. I wasn't hearing it in my head. So in my body, I was going, somebody is speaking to me. And in the somebody, I didn't know how to interpret that. There weren't spirit guides and angels talking to us back in those days that I knew of. I had no way of interpreting this experience, but yet I felt in my body some positive message being given to me. But this was the beginning, 18 years old, somebody from another world talking to me, and it required me to reverse my way of experiencing and being involved in the world. It took me years to really interpret the message and the full meaning of it. But that was the beginning. And it was three years later that I was being interviewed at a time I had to decide whether to stay at the academy or not. And all of this information was coming at me from the officers in the room. And somebody said, well, you don't really want to be here anyway. And I turned and nobody was there talking to me in this space. This was the same voice. I totally recognized it. I felt it. I felt the good, positive energy of it, not really knowing anything else. And it was the first time that question had ever been put to me, really. I'd never really faced the fact that, you know, I was, I was going to be a Naval Academy graduate. I was going to go into the Navy. I thought about flying school. I loved going to flight school when I was young. Um, I was thinking astronaut. I mean, I really had this vision. There was no reason for me to say, no, I don't want the Academy. But when that question or that statement came to me, you don't really want to be here anyway. It just flooded me with the truth of that. And I had to face it. Yeah, this, this isn't what I want. And I don't know what I do want, but I now knew I faced the reality that this was not what I wanted in my life. And so I chose to leave. And there's much more to that story as well. Um, but over the next couple of years, that voice came at very prompt, special times that revealed deeper and deeper meaning to me. That's actually where I received the name Zakaya. Once I left, it took me a, a year to two years of kind of reorienting my life. But I had always been called to nature. You know, as a Boy Scout, we went outdoors camping all the time. The high mountains of Colorado were my favorite. We did two-week treks in the high mountains of New Mexico with the Boy Scouts. Just incredible nature experiences in which my heart just opened in love to nature. I felt it. And what started to happen now was more than that. 
I started to have awakening experiences, spiritually awakening experiences, in which I fell into synchronicity with nature. And it began at a time that I met my past through an old house we'd lived in. And I went to revisit this house. This house was all torn apart and stuff, and I walked in, and someone said to me, this house is now showing the wounds that you suffered as a child. And I was flooded with memories. I went and I just sat out in the grasses in the fields under a warm summer sun, just feeling this soft wind blowing me and the grasses were swaying around me. And I, using a scientific sound term, I entrained to the grasses, to the wind. And so I came into synchronous union with them. And when I did that, my feeling states open to what's fundamentally universal wisdom, an understanding of the unity of life. I got up to leave when I was finished with this and somebody grabbed me and turned me by the shoulder and said, wait, don't you remember me? 20 feet away was a mimosa tree, okay? Now this is stretching my imagination a great deal, but this mimosa tree was speaking to me, okay? I took its seed. It was seeding right at the moment. I planted it at my mother's house where a beautiful tree grew. But two weeks later, I came back to this house to revisit this. It was bulldozed with the sign saying, future home of somebody's savings and loan bank. I mean, the synchronicity of the timing of this is just beyond belief. If I hadn't have gone at that time, it would have all been gone. The experience would not have possibly happened. But that was the beginning of this story. You've worked with many masters and many wisdom keepers, are there any you'd like to talk about uh, in particular who shaped your vision? Well, so many teachers, I've been blessed with uh, embodied teacher's wisdom. I want to speak to Peruvian and Tibetan wisdom because those are possibly influenced me more than any other. I've worked with many indigenous teachers and many of them have been extraordinary in the wisdom they've given and the past that that wisdom has opened to me but I've more immersed in the Peruvian and Tibetan fields of study and wisdom. I was living in Vermont. I was going to nature and finding all these places that touched me remarkably and was having incredible experiences with them and trying to understand it. And I was studying with a teacher who was versed both in Lakota and Tibetan wisdom. And she knew that I needed to understand this one principle of what I was doing. She turned me on to a Peruvian master who I went to to understand this particular practice. I need to speak to the Caro of Peru because the Caro are in, an indigenous culture in the high central plateaus of Peru. After the conquest of the Spaniards, they went into their villages and just kind of hibernated there. And most people were not even aware of their existence. They were not really known to the West until 1954. They're considered the high wisdom keepers of Peru in many ways because their teachings were kept so pure and authentic, non-adulterated by Western intervention. They have prophecies about this time, as many cultures do. They call this time the Torape Pacha, which means the time of meeting ourselves again. Now just think about that for a moment, You know, the time of meeting ourselves again prophesied centuries and centuries ago, well before European intervention. They're talking about this time in which we meet our true potential, and we carry that potential within us. It's a seed of energy. 
They teach how to touch it, how to activate it, how to feed and nourish it, and how to grow it and birth it into one way of expressing it, to becoming a flower of blossoming joy in service to the garden of creation. A flower of blossoming joy in service to the garden of creation. And in order to nourish and feed that seed to blossom, you have to come into relationship with nature to all of the elements of nature. You learn to speak with trees and stones. You learn to speak with the wind, the voice of fire, of water, the spirit of water. You learn to connect to the pure energy of those elements. They go through step after step of doing this, working with the elements, working with your ancestry, working with your own psychology, working with their lineage teachers, and making connections to all of that through certain rituals and ceremonies. And one of the whole points of this story is that the prophecy of the time of meeting ourselves again fundamentally states that when enough of us come into right relationship with the living earth and sky, that will be the catalyst to awaken all humanity. They will tell you right now that is happening, even amidst all the chaos and insanity that we may experience around us. There is an underlying birthing that occurs. And these are just the wounds of humanity that we have been inflicting upon each other coming full force coming awake that need to be healed. We need to face this ugliness and conflict we see in our society to find a pathway of healing. But it can only come about when we learn to embody our own nature, to become healed ourselves and act from a place of healing or wholeness, which is what healing actually means. The, the Caro teachings come from the Inca. Okay, now we can say a lot of things about how we discovered the Inca to be. That may not be how they saw themselves to be or where their history came from. But the word Inca means enlightened one. And we don't even understand that far, most of us. We don't even know the meaning of the word. But it means enlightened one, and that's what these practices are calling. Indeed, I told you about the seed of potential that we carry. They call that the Inca seed, the seed of enlightenment, the seed of our potential. So given the culture that we live in today, do you see that these sacred teachings, do you see that there is a way for the past and the present and the future to come together? Well, that's exactly what they say must happen. But do you believe that it can happen? Well, I do, and it's, it's, it's possibly very hard to see with the chronic disorder that we're seeing, but we are a culture birthed of dysfunction, and we thrive in dysfunction and don't even recognize it as dysfunction. Think of the most holy man you can think of on the planet living today, and who would you call out? I guess I'd have to go to the Dalai Lama. That was my first thought, okay? So just think about what he embodies, and think about the teachings he brings forward. You know, it's, it's a great deal of peace, forgiveness, compassion, mindful action. If we could all just think about these things, how beautiful the world could be. And there's somebody doing a good deal to embody it, whether he fully embodies it or not. I haven't been with the Dalai Lama, so I can't speak to him as well as I could another Tibetan teacher who also carries a 2,600-year-old Cherokee uh, lineage tradition. So here's a Cherokee teacher who's also schooled in Tibetan wisdom, and she, more than anybody I know, embodies that holiness that we would think of a holy person must be. I've watched a whole room full of people become entranced by her teaching for less than an hour. They were stunned. 
to be in the brilliance of a holy person. And that's the effect that a holy one has upon us because they're emanating a different state of mind and being than most of us understand. And this is important to the whole story and concept of understanding nature. It's through the felt senses. When we allow ourselves to fall into a feeling state, we begin to embrace the way that we truly learn. And I'm gonna, I could go to Daniel Webster for that because the first common definition of to know is not knowledge given to me by another person through books and um, professors and authorities on a subject. The first definition is that which is directly perceived. So everything you perceive is your foundation of true knowing. Okay, And the feeling states are something that the West has dismissed. We've dismissed it in favor of the rational and cognitive knowing. But what the ancients say is that we need both. We aren't to dismiss either one. This is the, the honoring and the balance and unity of male and female. That the female is the intuitive feeling state perceptual aspect of ourself. And the male is the more cognitive linear aspect. They both have value, but one's not more valuable than the other. We've lost track of that. Indeed, it was driven out of us, but we were driven away from any nature-based, wisdom-based, intuitive-based way of knowing and understanding ourselves and the universe around us. And it's because we've been driven out of that that many of us don't understand it, haven't experienced it, feel lost when it comes to us, or don't believe it when we, when we taste it. I see the difficulty in the world and I worry about it, especially right now, you know, the racial injustice and the trauma that's being created right now around it on both sides of the equation. We need to take a major step back and look at what's truly valuable. And that's one thing I've heard from people about COVID. A lot of people have said, well, you know, at first I didn't know what to do, having to stay at home and everything, but you know what? I found the things I truly love and what are really valuable to me. I have time with my family that I never had. It was always just a hurry, hurry world, get things done. And now I can sit with my children and watch them grow and help them and play and you know, all of my loved ones. This is something that many, many people are experiencing and I, I pray more and more I can find what is truly valuable. So what is fulfilling in our lives? For me, one thing that has always been fulfilling since a child is just stepping into nature. Because we are nature, when we step into nature, nature speaks to us. And the more we can still our mind, be quiet and listen, and allow ourselves to just rest in nature, the more we will understand that. Just resting in nature. There's an incredible beauty and symmetry right there. Everything in nature is alive. It's all following the same symmetrical relationship. If we would just allow ourselves to rest in that, we would feel it and understand it. Most of us have these experiences when we go into nature, we just don't really realize the incredible beauty and vastness of this proportional relationship in which we are all related. Whether you view us as stardust or the fingerprint of God, it doesn't really matter. We're all birds of the same creation and the same forces that unwind in this incredible arc of beauty and symmetry that we should be grateful for and jubilant and much like the birds are. Why are we not singing? Can you kind of address what makes a place sacred? <laughs> If you look at the definition of sacred, it's really what we make is sacred is sacred. To me, everything is sacred. You know, it's Chief Joseph, the whole earth is sacred. 
Everything is sacred. My people are sacred. Everything is sacred. When we realize that, we've come a long way. What we normally consider as sacred places either have an inherent natural energy, often unfolding as a natural beauty, that we honor as something special, different than just the pathway through the woods and suddenly it opens up and there's a river, a waterfall, a canyon, something that really touches us and we feel great beauty and suddenly it's sacred. Whereas the whole pathway getting there might not have been to us. But what makes that special spot sacred and another not sacred? We, we could say we don't know. And yet there have been teachings throughout all cultures history that speak to the sanctity of that. For instance, in, uh, in China, in Taoist wisdom, when two streams come together at a meeting point, especially coming off of two ridges facing south, it creates a very specific energetic vortex that they call a dragon point, which is dragon in their culture is an extraordinary, beautiful thing. It's a creation being. The, the dragons are the elements that come together that create all things, the combination of the fundamental elements of earth, air, fire, water, space. So, in my experience, when we open ourselves to feeling nature, we can feel the sanctity of these places, the rich vibrancy of it. So one place, and there's a high mountain in Western Massachusetts that has an ancient stone circle, and you can feel the upswelling of energy there, as you can on many mountaintops. And if you talk to an earth energy specialist, most mountains have a vortex of energy rising up out of the earth. The earth has a system of energy much like we do. The earth has similar meridians or, or living energy channels that cross the earth, come together, and create vortexes, usually either uplifting or descending into the body of the earth, where they cross. There are places that have multiple crossings of energies, and those are places that are often mapped out through intuitive wisdom by the ancient cultures and saying, oh, Stonehenge, oh, Giza, oh, Machu Picchu, and this is the sun temple, and this is the moon temple for this reason, because the energy reflects the nature of the work that we want to do in honoring the sun or the moon. You walk into a place that has been treated as holy, you're going to feel it whether you understand what you're feeling or not, and you walk into a place that is not treated that way, and you're gonna feel it whether you knew what it was used for or you understand what your feelings are or not. So learning to interpret the feelings is another stage of this, but, but honoring and accepting, acknowledging your feelings and then learning to interpret them gives you access to the ancient wisdom. And that's something the elders would say is extremely important to this, is learning the ancient ways of gathering wisdom to know that which is directly perceived. To follow up his question, he was also wondering, should we visit these places? Uh, right. And in what way should we visit these places? You know, I like to say, as beautiful as Giza is, find the holiness in your backyard. What is sacred to you? In my experience, the more you come into those places with what we call right approach of honoring the sanctity of the place and honoring those who built it and their intentions and so forth, will bring you into a potential of a greater experience and even life-altering experiences, which many of us ha have had. He can attest to that. But I'd like to say, find what's in your backyard because there's nothing unholy about just stepping out right here. There's nothing less sacred about this woodlands than that temple in Vermont or in Giza or somewhere else. And learning to understand that everything is part of this, this network of energy and consciousness of the cosmos 
It's all a living web of energy, and you can interconnect to it from any point. Some places to me are more special. They have a more natural integration of energy in them that may make access easier, and that's why the temples were built there, because it's easier to access the energy and consciousness at that point. But find that at home. You don't have to travel 3,000 miles. It's great to do so, but it's right here also. I suspect that most of your listeners, from what I understand, already honor the earth in some way. That's why they're coming to you in just honoring a garden, in just gardening in the backyard, how deep and rich and vital of an experience that can be, how beautifying it can be, how nourishing it can be. All of these sayings come from just this interaction. But how deep does it go for you in your own experience? How deep do you feel the moisture in the earth and the nurturing that's in the soil as you immerse your hands in it? What kind of level of intentions are you bringing to want to beautify the earth or your home or bring a garden to nourish you and your family? What's the level and quality of energy and consciousness that you bring to your own experience just in your own backyard? That's a starting point. The more that we honor the earth, the more we will understand these principles. The earth is vibrant. And I doubt that there's few, if any of our listeners, who haven't stood somewhere on the earth going, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Well, if we can just stand there, even in our hearts in our backyard, we're already engaging in the principle of life. So the more I can step out and honor nature, honor the beauty of it, oh, you know, when when I can honor that this is the mother of life on this planet, I mean, there's other levels of motherhood in the universe, but on this planet, here's the mother of life, and there's a universal consciousness, many call Mother Earth or Gaia or something like this. Pachamama would be the Peruvian name. And Um, We honor this life form that has brought life to us, that has nourished us, that has cherished us, that has brought us to this place in life. Can we honor where we are in life? If we don't like it, maybe we need to change our course of action. We need to change the way we view the world, and this is what causes change in our lives. This is what creates interaction with the harmony of the universe and nature right outside our door. Honoring the beauty that we see, and that is reflected back to us, and the more we can go into that when we place our hands in the thriving earth or when we just go and sit in the forest. Just go and rest there and feel that harmonic beauty. Energetically, everything is vibrational. And I could go into other stories of wisdom, but fundamentally the earth in general is vibrating in a harmonic resonance. And that's why we go into nature, we feel good. There's something harmonic resonating in nature. If we can allow ourselves to rest in nature, and feel that harmonic beauty. We all know it's there. We just aren't all allowing it to be as conscious as we might. The more we allow it to rise up in our consciousness as a harmonic place of beauty, that's going to bring me into a level of that within me. And then I can start speaking in tongues that nature understands. As it turns out, English is not nature's first language. Just honoring that earth, stepping into it in an honoring way, asking where I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a novice at this stuff. I'm in kindergarten school, Mother Earth. How do I touch you? How do I respect you? How to incorporate a more integrated lifestyle in harmony with you? If we will just ask, acknowledge where we are and ask that, we will find love and guidance along that way. And nobody will respond more quickly than Mother Earth. 
And part of that is also our giving to the earth. We, get, we honor and give to the earth, even if it's just our gratitude. Thank you for your beauty. Thank you for this corn that is nourishing me today. Thank you for the magic of this. How, how could you ever create this? I mean, how could we ever imagine that we can create the living earth with all of the brilliance involved, just human cells? How can we imagine we can ever duplicate the brilliance of creation? Can we not be respectful and humble enough in that, that we can honor the beauty of creation no matter how we imagine it came forward? And by that honoring and respect, we're going to gain relationship that will feed back to us in ways most of us cannot even imagine. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Zakaya Blackburn. If you wish to learn more, please visit his website, thecenteroflight.net. I hope you will share this episode with family, friends, and colleagues. And do subscribe to Nature Revisited on your favorite podcast server. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And if you would like to support us or share your thoughts and ideas, please visit us at NordenProductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N, Productions.com. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Norden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, do remember, we are nature. Nature.